I want people to understand how challenging it was to go from life in one way and then all of a sudden it feels like your world is sort of flipped upside down and you're now without all the things you were used to and especially a home but everything else too and just maybe yeah. you could that was that was the that was the really that was the hardest part was I couldn't believe it think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being and there's life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast, where we're bringing key topics and stories about homelessness to light. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Lucky, who struggled to make rent and worked well over 40 hours a week. That triggered health issues, which caused him to lose his job, and then he became homeless. It's a powerful, dynamic story, and we hope it makes you think differently about who you see on the street corner. I'm here with Leanne, Jana, and Myra. Through the episode, you'll hear Jana and Myra asking our guest questions, and Leanne tying some threads together through the narration. I think you'll enjoy it, so stay with us. Before we start, we want to let you know that we went through an informed consent process with everyone we interviewed. And before airing each of these episodes, we sent the recording to the interviewees to make sure that they were still comfortable with us sharing their story. I want to acknowledge that parts may be triggering for some listeners. If so, please take care. We first talked with Lucky back in March when he was staying at a safe outdoor space site operated by the Colorado Village Collaborative. He shared his story of how he first became unhoused and his journey since then. Lucky has found stable housing since we first interviewed, but we'll let him tell you about that later. Hi, this is Myra, and we have Leanne and Jonna here today. I would like to introduce you to Lucky. My name is Lucky. Uh, that's what I go by. My real name is Justin Sager. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be here. That's good. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I just recently became homeless, and right now I'm just kind of making the most of that every day. Um, trying to stay happy and trying to stay positive and keep moving forward. That's good to hear because, you know, it's hard to stay focused. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, what happened, and how did you become unhoused? Well, it started off, uh, I used to work for the Hyatt. I ended up getting really sick, had a seizure, and when I came back to the Hyatt from the hospital, they made me resign, and I couldn't pay my rent anymore. So... I kind of went the other way towards the streets and started selling drugs and everything. And I got caught, went to jail, got out of jail, and didn't have anywhere to go. And that's how I became homeless. Wow. Would you like to tell me a little bit more about um, how that felt, just, you know, going through that process, knowing that it was an illness that actually started this process? Well, my, my health is everything to me. But when I, when I was getting out of jail... I had a transition to a shelter, and 
the reason why I have seizures is because it's uh, high stress activity or high stress environments or whatever uh, gets me sick for my brain to shut down just to reboot. So when I got out, it was a realization of me knowing that I didn't have anywhere to go. I had to go to the shelter and it was full of crazy people and it was just like jail. So if you didn't come back at that sh- to that shelter every night, then they would exit you. I didn't come back one night and I just, and they wouldn't let me back in. So then it was straight to the streets and I slept in parks and it was different for me. You know, I, I kind of lived a high maintenance life a little bit. I was really used to a couple of things and I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to get back on my feet. And that was the hardest part. Um, it's about four years now I've been homeless. Tell me a little bit about how you were before you got unhoused. Ever since I was 14, I've been working. Uh, my my uncle owns Bombella Barbers, so he, he had employed me there, sweeping up hair and everything. And then uh, when I was 18, uh, I went to Job Corps. I graduated from there with three trade completions in my high school diploma. Um, from there, I got out and I started working with a, uh, with a towing company, uh, just laying a towel out in, in Parker and everything. And it was a great job. I loved it. But then I had a son, uh, Justin Jr., and I wanted to be more closer to home. And so I ended up getting a job over at, at the Safeway off of Havana, Mexico. And my customer service is legendary. So while I was there, I ended up being a, a courtesy clerk for about two weeks. I got my first check, and they promoted me up to a a day stalker. And I would just do, like, the GM items and everything. And my next check, I got promoted up to front-end manager. And I I was there for about six years. And uh, I had my son, my my wife. She worked over in the fuel station, Safeway Fuel Station. I worked in the main store, and that that was really good. I ended up having another son, Elijah. And so... That's when I started working back into, like, the construction or the home improvement areas. And it got really good. I was working at um, uh, the Timberland Apartments as a uh, maintenance person, and we also lived there. Everything was nice, nice. And my kids were doing great. Uh, me and my, my girlfriend, we were really tight. And I don't know, just all of a sudden... Wind changed, but it wasn't like as bad as this. Wind changed just in the relationship type thing. And me and my girlfriend, we went our separate ways. And I, was, I moved to Wheat Ridge and became a, a produce manager down at the King Supers there. And Wheat Ridge was so different, I just couldn't really get used to it. I had a lot of fun there, but I just started partying because I was single again. And um, just having a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And uh, then that's when I got to the Hyatt downtown, and I got an apartment. I was working at the Hyatt. I loved the Hyatt. It was it was great. I had my own tailor there. Um, my uniforms were always punctual or always on point, t- tailor made to fit. I met a lot of interesting people there. I used to do engineering during the day, and I would do banquets at night. So it was the paychecks was really really nice. Although he had some shifts in his personal life. Lucky maintained solid employment and felt life was going well. His story represents one that so many other people face. As his rent started to rise steadily, along with the cost of living, so did his stress levels. He started working more and more to make ends meet, which triggered health issues. It seemed like when I got sick, 
I ended up just having to resign, and that's when everything just hit the fan. I really should have been focusing on my my sickness and, you know, taking control of it and being honest with my employers. Because at any time, any job that I had, I could have gotten sick like I did, and everything would have been over. I had a seizure. I died for a minute and 19 seconds, and, you know, I, it's hard for me to find employment. I'm not comfortable working, and they're not comfortable hiring me. So right now, with this transition that I'm going through, I'm really looking forward to getting back to my kids and showing um, my girlfriends and their, their mothers that I've changed and I can do better and that I'm back on my feet. After losing his job, Lucky moved to the streets, where his epilepsy was unmanageable. He struggled to maintain his health and regain stability. Eventually, he was able to get a spot at a safe outdoor space which are secure, staffed environments that provide individualized outdoor tents with wraparound resources and services. Safe outdoor spaces are operated by the Colorado Village Collaborative, and you can learn more about them in Season 1, Episode 5. Here, Lucky talks to us about his experience at the SOS site, how a class sparked his love for art, and how he received a voucher for long-term housing. Just this year, I finally started finding resources in the SOS camp. Now I'm in Bridge Housing. It's, it's a hotel, but it's just waiting for me to get into housing. But being out there on the streets is, is it's a whole other environment. And so how did that feel? Well, it was, it, was really, it, was, it was really scary, you know, and I didn't know how to take it. Um, I had never really been homeless. Nobody wanted to extend their hand out to help me. I'm very motivated every day. Um, even though I sleep in a tent, I make the best of it. Uh, I make my tent like a mansion, you know. If you come over, I, downstairs is going to be the hot tub. Uh, I, like, I have video games. A lot of people donated a lot of things to me. I try to make myself as comfortable as I can be instead of being down, down on, my, on my luck, you know. So I... Use the name Lucky, just keep me positive every day. Everybody knows me. Yeah, the things that I've, I've started since I've been in the SOS campus really kept me positive. Uh, helping the people that have been on the streets and seeing myself in them has really helped me keep it going. But as far as when I first started, I was scared to death. Have you been supported during this process? Absolutely. Um, when I got out of jail, I had found a kid. He, was, he had passed away on the bus stop. And I called the cops, and the coroner came, and the cops took me down to the, the station, questioned me. But then they told the parents of the, of the, the boy that, um, that I found him, and I called him. And they talked to me and everything. They gave me a place to stay for a couple months until I got into the SOS camp. And that was a big, big help, because before then, I was sleeping at the same park their son was, and I could have ended up just like him. Yeah, it can be sad, you know, seeing all that happening and dealing with that and, and knowing that there was some support after you helped someone out. I mean, to know that there's people that actually care. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Hello, podcast listeners. We are very excited to announce our Be Part of the Solution and Help Us Finish Season 2 fundraising campaign through the Colorado Gives website now through September 1st. 
With your help, we will raise $15,000 to produce the final episodes of Season 2. If you like this podcast and you want us to continue to bring key topics of homelessness to light, then please donate. Visit coloradogives.org slash story slash Elevated Denver or click on the link in the show notes. Together, we can finish season two and ensure these important stories reach our community. Now, back to Lucky. Has it been hard finding support? It's hard to find consistent support. It's hard to find somebody that really cares. You know, a lot of people get this job and they say, well, I want to do this because I, I want to help. But you find yourself dealing with a bunch of malarkey all the time. So now when I do receive some help and I don't want anybody to give up on me, I show them that their support is, is valued and I appreciate it. Has there been roadblocks dealing with the unhoused lifestyle? Roadblock after roadblock. Uh, I didn't know what to do and I, I was so sick again. But I started doing drugs to the point where I didn't even follow up on my vouchers or, or anything, you know, my food stamps or whatever. I never found, followed up on anything. I just wanted to just get high and forget about everything. I ended up going in the lottery with the Salvation Army for, to get a voucher, and uh, I followed through every day, every day, every day, every week, and they never followed through with me at all. And so that was a roadblock. And so they told me that they're going to uh, take away my voucher because they weren't ready for it. And so I had to wait all over again. And now I feel like I'm just stagnant, you know? So it took a lot for me to get out of that. I ended up getting another voucher through the EHV, and now that's what we're working on. EHVs are emergency housing vouchers funded by the federal government and administered by the local housing authority. The voucher is a subsidy that pays a portion of Lucky's rent. Lucky talks to us about the process to get that voucher and what it was like to try to access the other services he needed. The staff at SOS helped a lot, but he still faced many barriers, including the lengthy and challenging process to apply for disability. It's just a transition from you moving from the tent and then trying to get into your home. It's really to make you ready to be somewhere alone. So how does it feel to try to get your resources and your benefits and while you're unhoused, like, for example, food stamps, applying for Medicaid? How does that feel to go through that process? Well, it's a, it's, it's a different type of process because at the SOS camp, you really can't get any mail. So either your mail goes to the coalition or if you have a family member that can accept your mail, then that's how, we, that's how you would do that. But then... If you do get mail at the coalition, then you have to wait till it's there. You have to go there every day or, you know, give it some time and then go up there, wait in line. I have a lot of things sent to my grandmother's house. and She lives all the way in Montbello, so sometimes I have a hard time just making it out there. I did my food stamps application in June. I did the interview in the middle of June. I didn't receive my card until January. But the whole time... From June to January, I was starving, you know. I was eating at the SOS or people were helping me out a lot. And it, it, was, it was a different type of process than if you had your own mailing address or your own email and a consistent base of income. So 
the key thing is is to stay on top of everything that you do. And no matter if you got to be there every day, be there every day and check to check and see if your mail's there, check and see if your ID came or your bus passes. You can see a lot of people in the SOS camps get very discouraged and look very frustrated because they're sick of getting up and going down there and it's not there and they have to come back empty-handed. And so and you can't call and say, like, look, is my, is my mail there? Because they're not allowed to give you, give you their information. So applying for, like, Social Security benefits, is that just as, as hard going through that process? Yes, that's, that is a process because a lot of people want to uh, be fraudulent. You know, so they really want to, want to see that that you're epileptic and if you can work or if you can work or whatnot. So there's a lot of doctor's appointments that you have to go to and a lot of paperwork that you have to get filled out by doctors. And it's a whole process. And then a lot of times you're still going to get denied and you have to go through the process again. And once they really see that you can work, then they kind of start pushing you forward. But I'm still going through the process and it's been like, it's been over a year. But... Hopefully it comes through. I know it will. Lucky gave himself that nickname to stay positive and to remind himself that he is lucky. Despite the challenges he has faced, he recognizes the things that have supported him and he holds hope for the future. What do you feel that was most helpful on your journey? Most helpful was actually getting inside the SOS camp and participating in everything that came in. I've been drawing for about 10 months now. Someone that told me that I, I can't learn something new. And they, we started talking about drawing. And he, he bet me that I can't draw him. And I, I drew a better version of him, you know. And it, ever since then, I had the bug. And if it wasn't, if once I got into the SOS camp, I started meeting the art teachers and everything. And every Tuesday, every Saturday, Iris would come through. Uh, Carmen would come through and we would we would do art and I would be the only one there. They bring sandwiches, sodas, pizzas, and it was a good motivator. People would come for the sandwiches and for the pizza, but wouldn't stay for the art. So no matter what, the SOS camp is a place for you to be feel safe, but also participate in, with the people around you and participate with the programs. What would it be to have stable housing? What would that look like to you? Right now, I mean, it's, I've been. I've been in the industry so long, and I've changed so much. I, I get a little worried sometimes that I'd be, that I'll be uh, lonely. Um, maybe like a little, little claustrophobic, or my anxiety would kick in. But right now, is it seems like the most important thing to me. But I still have a lot of friends that that help me out. And when I do get into my place, I want it to be great, and I want it to be perfect, so that I'm not frustrated or just scared to be in my home alone. So that's a big issue for me right now. Even though I, I, I um, timed out of the, the SOS camp, I, I also I have their counselors and their staff for a whole year. They're there to talk to me, keep me sober if I have a relapse or anything. Honesty is the policy no matter what. So the more honesty you are about, about the situation, the more help that you can get. And I'm, I'm, I have a lot of faith in, in the SOS camp in the, about the next year when I do get my place. It sounded like one thing you were kind of touching on in terms of transitioning from being on the streets or the SOS into your own housing is maybe some concern about loss of community. And I just wondered if you could say a little bit more about like how important community is for you and what 
community has done for you as you've been on this journey of houselessness? Having a friend, like, friendship is very important to me. And the connection with, with people that's in your same situation is, is everything. So when, when I was picking my housing or went my area, I wanted to be around the Denver area because I did make a lot of friends out here. I learned a lot from, from some of the street people that, that's been homeless for years, 10 years, 20 years. And these are some of the most talented, most smartest people I've ever seen in my life. And if they ever need anything, I'll, I'll be there. I want to be able to get my foundation going so I can show them. Human contact and keeping a relationship going as a friend is very important to the people that are living alone and living in alleys and everything because they've all been left behind. As you move into sort of your own housing again, how could that look in a way that feels supportive to you and your community? Once they see me get my housing, then they'll, they'll know that they are all, my, all my consistency has paid off. And I think everybody will see that, and I think a lot of people will start to try to pay it forward and do their own thing. I feel like consistency is everything. I try to keep drawing when I do have free time. I draw every single day, all day long. But if I can just get out there more, you know, I, I kind of been like a hermit inside my tent. And now I feel like I'm going to be a hermit inside my, my home. So now it's time to start getting more motivated and learning things to do on the, in, in the streets or in, inside Denver. What do you wish others would know about experiencing homelessness? A lot of people look down on, you know, the bombs or whatever. But I went from being at the height, an engineer at the height, to just being a bum. You're homeless. And I hated the way people looked at me. Uh, I just needed a little help. When I was homeless, my clothes would be dirty, you know, and it was hot, and I'd be sweaty, and people would just shun you, you know, and, oh, get away from me. It doesn't matter what color you are. People, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to hear your story. Or nobody really cares. And I mean, that's up to them. But at the same time, you know, these people on the streets have gone through things, you know. They've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Now they're down and out. And just a little conversation, just a little handshake, you know, or, or a little um, nod or whatever. When, when you walk past them, they're down and out, you know, just try to lift their day up, say hi or anything. That's what keeps the person going, you know, just to be part of humanity still. The moment that you're not, you feel like an animal, you feel less than a person. You feel less than a dog. Let them know, you know, I, I see you no matter what. I want people to understand how challenging it was to go from life in one way and then all of a sudden it feels like your world is sort of flipped upside down and you're now without all the things you were used to and especially a home but everything else too and just maybe yeah. you could that was that was the that was the really that was the hardest part was I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe that is there anything else you want people to know about your story you never know what's going to happen. Um, like, I had my father. He killed himself in front of me when I was six. Um, last January, my brother killed himself. Same way my father did. Um, I was homeless, barely making it to, to my brother's funeral. So many times I felt like giving up. But... At all the times, and my late man's been lucky forever. I've never felt so unlucky with the things that happened. 
But no matter what, I never give up. It's a sky's the limit. It's been so hard being out here. I, I can't work. I can't I can't drive anymore. I have seizures all the time. I just feel sick all the time. But what can I do about that, you know? But take my medicine, you know, and, and stay away from stressful environments and always be positive, you know. And, and the more you do it, the better off you are. Thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing your story. I'll never give up. I'm pretty sure you guys will see me again or hear about me again. So, you know, I'm, I'm very motivated and positive about the future. When we interviewed Lucky back in March, he was staying at a safe outdoor space site, awaiting a move to bridge housing and then on to more permanent housing. We called Lucky to see where he's at now and how he's doing. How's your health going along? I just went and got a, got a checkup the other day down at South Street. Just wanted to get my epilepsy medicine and everything, so they hooked me up with that. I'm going to go pick that up today. Other than that, I've been good. Oh, that's awesome. Want to tell me a little bit about your living situation or where you're living now? I live uh South Denver. Their, their condo is actually uh, it's really, really big. Here, I'll take you guys in the walk. <clears throat> this is the living room right here. This is my art area over there. This is my kitchen. This is uh, the, like the dining room area. I mean, it's a really big apartment. I mean, this is uh, the bedroom. I love it. It's a quiet neighborhood. How long you been there? I've been there since June. Right now, I moved right, I'm like, like a mile away from uh, one of my campmates. <clears throat> so I go over there and I hang out with them. Sometimes we have dinner, uh, barbecue and everything. So it's, it, was a, it's a, it was a transition, but um, a lot of people still live downtown, and I, I really didn't want to live downtown anymore. So what does it feel like living in your own place? It is lonely. It gets scary. <laughs> I just started doing, like, a new type of art. Like, I used to just, like, paint landscapes and everything. Now um, i kind of been pouring. I guess that's what they call it. Um, this is one of my favorites right here. Yeah, so I'm trying to, trying to go into business with these. And, you know, trying to be an entrepreneur without selling drugs or anything and just staying on the safe side and the, the right side of the law. When I first got here for like a month, I, I didn't have I didn't have any furniture. So I have hardwood floors. So it was, this, it was a struggle. Like I had like a lawn chair and maybe like a, like a sleeping bag from camp. So I was like kind of sleeping in that. I was trying to stretch out on the floor sometimes. Then uh, it's the area is like really like elderly people, and they're they're also rushing, so it was really hard like communicating with people, and they're older, and I'm black, <laughs> and I don't know. But now everybody loves me. Like my whole corridor right here, they always come check on me, see if I'm all right, and I check on them as well. And yeah, I mean, but other than then just uh, coming in without no furniture for a month. There hasn't been any struggles. I'm trying to just be a millionaire by with my with my art, with my YouTube channel. Sky's the limit. So every day I go onto my onto my app and I tell myself, well, before 2024, I'm going to be the master of my home, the master of my life, and the master of my domain. I do three sets of that, and I then I start working on my goals for the for the day, but also for my long term goals. And just being consistent, 
I want to go back to work, but my epilepsy is just kind of iffy. And I was a maintenance guy or an engineer, so I really can't go back to my trade. So I'm just kind of trying to lean in on the art and be, lean in on being an art entrepreneur right now. But thank you guys so much. Tune in next time for a special episode featuring the Denver Basic Income Project and stories of those who have been part of year one of the pilot. The Elevated Denver Podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Nagy, and Jonna Flood. Narration brought to you by me, Nathan Havey. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by the Olympic Recording Studio. If you found this episode interesting and would like to learn more about our work, please visit us at elevateddenver.co. And don't forget to let others in the community know about this podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver. Denver.